and a mouse keep running, running, and 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 running, running, Everybody and welcome back to the Marvel Comics Podcast, the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. I'm your host, Jim, and thanks for listening. And I want to make a, a big announcement, right? A big announcement here. The show, the main show is going to come out on Thursday from now on, Thursday afternoon, hopefully at noon. So only about, you know, 10 hours you know, later than what it normally does. It gives some people more time to read the comics. But in the meantime, it's really so that I can expand things a bit and make this podcast a little bit better. Wednesdays are my busiest days. I have like 18 podcasts that I do on Wednesdays. And I always feel like I'm under the gun to get the Marvel one done. And sometimes I end up having to skip some books or, you know, not able to edit a section with Brandon because his internet's horrible, things like that. So I think that Thursday afternoon will help that out, make the podcast a a bit stronger. And I'm going to add some sections and stuff with that as well and more books. So hopefully that is something that people would be down with. Now with that, if you listen to the other shows, uh, that would mean that most of them, yeah, you know, the Star Wars usually comes out Saturday night. I think I will put that on Sunday and then we will end up and I really want to get back to the the uh, what's it called? Those X-Men. That's what they're called. Right. Is, is that what they're called? How dare you? Oh, yes. I want to get back. But that would probably be on the Tuesday, maybe even still on the Monday. But we'll we'll figure that out. I'm more concerned of doing this show right here, right now, as Jesus Jones sang back in the day, uh, because Like I said, I want it to be a better show. I want it to be a little different, expand it, all that stuff. And I I hope that this is, again, something that people will like. But before we go into this show, where we will have me and Clay talking about two books and then me talking about two as well, let me tell you, go over to that Twitter's at the WS Marvel Comics. You follow us, we'll follow you right back. That is a credo. That is a mantra. That is our rule that if you follow us we'll follow you back i think that is the way to bring us all together in this crazy thing we call life also go to our website weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com and check out our patreon patreon.com slash weird science all of these links will be in the show notes and with that the patreon spotlight this week the marvel patreon spotlight with me and a brand doing the non-stop spider-man I'll tell you, he loves that book. Oh, my. He doesn't. But I just like to, you know, make fun of him with that. But also, I'll be doing a little bit of the Heroes Reborn stuff as well. So you'll have to go over there. And, of course, I say that because I forgot that it's called Heroes Reborn Double Action. Number one, that's what I'll be doing. Because later on in this podcast, I'll be talking about Heroes Reborn number five. But with all of that... The expansion begins. I'm going to go off right now to some news. Now it's time for Jim and the news. Listening to Jim is what I want to do. He's talking solicits and very uncovers before all the meat and the cheese that's from under. 
Yes, it's time for Jim and the News. And am I expanding because I want to talk about more things or do I just want to hear songs about myself? It's a little bit of column A, column B there. Uh, Two big news items this week here, fresh off the, I don't know, the line, right? Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley seek out the final answer to the Hulk's uncontrollable rage in a new series. And this is straight from the Marvel News email here the next era of hulk arrives this november and this is something that donny cates have been hinting at on twitter the way he does saying hey i am so excited about this announcement and that but but marvel won't let me say anything then comes back and says oh they're gonna let me say it but not until next week all this stuff to get everybody's hype up well here is the story this november the hulk will return in an all-new ongoing series by acclaimed writer Donny Cates, known for his revolutionary work on Venom and Thor, and superstar artist Ryan Otley of Amazing Spider-Man and Invincible. And I would say revolutionary work, maybe not so much on Thor yet. He's changed some Donald Blake stuff, right? He ended up having Galactus story. Okay, it's getting there. But yeah, Venom. Venom is the deal. This unstoppable team of some of the industry's greatest talents will helm a bold new era of Hulk that begins when Bruce Banner discovers a radical way to control the monster within. Could this mark the final end of the Green Goliath? Or will the extreme solution create something new with massive consequences? Prepare to dive deep into the very core of the Hulk's rage in this thrilling epic that will explore this iconic character's incredible and destructive legacy in a way no one has dared before. And so is this going to be something along the lines of a Al Ewing that's just finishing up a, say, 50-issue run exploring this one idea? Or is this going to be a maxi-series, mini-series? It doesn't say fully. I I would think that it's going to be an ongoing. uh, But it just seems like that one, you know, it's it's very, you know, particular. It's very specific about this whole deal. Um, But I think that, the way that things are going without Ewing doing a 50-issue run with Immortal Hulk and even the stuff that Donnie Cates did with Venom, uh, these stories do end up being long stories. They end up being something along the lines of, say, 50 issues or so. And I know that a lot of people love that. I I don't know. I actually was hoping that when we get back to Hulk, we were going to have a book that was fun. Get get a couple arcs there, some fun stories and stuff. And this might be some fun, but still, I think that Hulk, because of the whole deal with the Immortal Hulk and Al Ewing stuff, that it has kind of made it into uh, a series that you have to be a little more serious now. You can't goof around this much, right? It, it reminds me of almost like it's getting towards the point of like a swamp thing at DC where you have to be cerebral. Right. And I'm not cerebral. I'm a dummy. I'm not exactly the biggest Hulk fan. I'm not. I've never claimed to be. Um, But I enjoyed Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk to a point. And then I kind of got bored with it. I know that, you know, it's it's the darling. It's the bell of the ball at points. But I don't hear a lot of people talking about it as much anymore, especially as it's coming towards an end. 
Uh, the other thing about that is it looks like we'll go months without a Hulk book at one point. So maybe, maybe it does add up. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it adds up, but maybe I'm wrong. Again, I'm a dummy, right? That's I just said that. But with that, we have a quote. From Donny Cates. Marvel just gave me the keys to the strongest one there is, Cates said. Ha ha. Oh boy. You guys are just not ready for this. I, I have to mention this since we're starting to do news like that. I don't know. Every time there's a quote, it, it always angers me. I, and it, again, it goes well with the Hulk story of. <laughs> I just get angry at these quotes when these guys say this stuff. You're about to find out what happens when Ryan Otley and I get angry. And guess what? Well, pretty sure you're going to like us a lot when we get angry. All right. Thanks, Danny Kids. Thanks with that. Oh, yeah. Vans can get their first glimpse at what's in store in this year's free comic book day title, free comic book day, Avengers Hulk number one. Available at participating comic shops on August 14th. In the meantime, check out the main cover. And stay tuned for more information on this explosive upcoming era of the Hulk. Thank you, Marvel, for that. And, yeah, they released a cover. Looks awesome. I mean, the cover looks incredible. So that is something that I obviously will be checking out. I'm a Donny Cage fan. I haven't liked everything that he's done. I did not like his Guardians of the Galaxy at all. And it took me a bit to get into the Thor stuff. Um, But overall, he is a guy that I would always buy the first couple issues of anything that he does to check it out. It's like crossover from image. I ended up getting that. I ended up dropping it, uh, kind of lost interest in that as well, but I'll always give it the chance. Now the next story, and, and it's funny too, because I hadn't seen the news and we were talking in the Patreon Slack chat and somebody put up the deal. Oh, look, Donny Cates is doing the Hulk. And I said, as a joke, well, how long before they announced that Al Ewing's on Venom, they had already done that. I, I was already an hour late, but it just made me laugh anyway, because Al Ewing, Ram V, and Brian Hitch unite for a new vision of Venom. And and so you're flip-flopping the deals, obviously. But it's also the, the cool idea that Al Ewing now has to go after Donny Cates on one of, if not the biggest run of Venom of all time. And then you end up having Donny Cates having to go after Al Ewing in a very beloved immortal Hulk. So it, it's kind of a neat idea that both of them are going to have to, you know, maybe step up their game or almost get, you know, a little competition going. I would guess by the end, I think that Donny Cates will win that battle, at least in my heart, because I am not a huge fan of Al Ewing. I really am not. And like I said about Donny Cates, I would buy, you know, a couple issues of anything he does to check it out. I do not have that same thing with Al Ewing. I'm one of the people I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of him himself and his Twitter presence, stuff like that. But also I'm just not a fan of almost everything that he's written. I liked Immortal Hulk. I told you I ended up getting bored with it and dropping it. I did not like Empire. I'm not enjoying his Guardians of the Galaxy. I really don't like Sword. And you know, Ruben, that guy loves it, but it's not anything that's wowing me either. I Actually, I'm not a fan. That's what I'm saying. Ram V, on the other hand, I do like. I do think that people are putting him up on a pedestal a little too soon. He still needs to do a couple things before I start, you know, crowing about him being an all-time great. Brian Hitch, I do like enough, though. He he seems to hate me from when he was doing the Justice League DC uh, book. But, hey, 
That's what happens. Following a blockbuster turn by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman, Marvel's resident master of horror. Oh, the resident master of horror, yes. Al Ewing and Rambi will take over the adventures of Venom, bringing the same style and sensibilities that made Immortal Hulk a smash hit. He's the resident master of horror on Twitter, I think. <laughs> Woo! A titan of terror on his own right. Oh, Rambi's a titan of terror. Everybody's going. It was, wasn't that a ride at Six Flags? These are the jokes, people. This is why you, you like to have the you know the news, the jokes they, they come with. Uh, but that Al Ewing and award-winning author Ram V, a titanitarian in his own right, will work together to lend a dramatic and dangerous air to this twisted new vision of Venom. Rounding out this symbiote hive mind will be legendary artist Brian Hitch, bringing his rich and detailed style to the Venom-verse. The future of Venom lies in the hands of this mastermind team, and you won't believe what lies ahead. Now, one of the things that you can give Donnie Cates props, like he ended up doing this Venom deal. It sold well. You end up getting the King and Black event and all that. It did push up the Venom book. Like it, it pushed it up. So now it is a big deal. Who is the next writer? And it is a, a big writer at Marvel and a big artist overall and all this stuff going on. So Donnie Cates did end up, you know, elevating the Venom book. When my editors at Marvel reached out about taking on Venom alongside Al Ewing and Brian Hitch, it's weird that you don't have a Al Ewing quote, but you have a Ram V quote. Maybe Al was busy. He was busy blocking people on Twitter, right? That's what he was doing. Whew, including me. Al Ewing, but when, when I, I, now I messed myself up. When editors at Marvel reached out about taking on Venom alongside Al Ewing and Brian Hitch, I was not prepared for the kind of creative thrill it has been ever since. I'd like to say they've been working on it for like a month. It's like, ooh, best month ever, Ram V said. This story is going to expand and push the symbiote narrative and lore in even more unexpected and fantastic directions. Little, little, you know, warning sign goes up for me there. But it is also an utter thrill having the sort of call and response mechanic I've had with writer like Al Ewing and an artist of Brian's caliber. And it, it's call and response. I could just say, like, I say then, you say um, then. Um, that's all they're doing. They're doing the call and response. Uh, you know, uh, nuts and bolts. We got screwed. Fans and new readers strap in and on. You ain't seen nothing yet. All right. I, I love the idea where sometimes there's people who talk to me. Uh, there was one guy in particular that he would end up reading these quotes and these news stories. Again, direct from the PR department of Marvel. And I'd say, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of worried about this. Now. But but he said that you ain't seen nothing yet. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> really? Like, and oh, but but he says he hasn't had this creative freedom. I'm like, you realize they're playing a game here. You realize that they're not going to get on here and say, really, I know nothing about Venom, but hey, it's a big book and it's a paycheck. You're not going to see that much. I mean, maybe Rob Liefeld. You might, you know, and because he is, no matter what anybody says, he's a straight shooter, that guy. And I, if you're if you're not listening to his podcast, it, it is pretty much one of the greatest podcasts of all time. That guy does not pull any punches. And he ends up, I think that this podcast is actually making people love him again for the first time, right? If that makes sense. But yeah, you, you're going to get a Venom book. You're going to get a Hulk book. That's basically the news for this and also again fans can get their first glimpse at what's in store in this year's free comic book day title free comic book day spider-man venom number one again on august 14th so fingers crossed we'll all be there at the free comic book day 
you, you should buy a trade or something while you're there. I've been told this, right? I'm a frugal man, though, but still, you have all that going on. I'm more excited about the Hulk book than the Venom one, but I will be reading and reviewing both until maybe I get angry. But we'll see. We'll see how it is. But, hey, that is the news. A little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit nonchalant, a, a little bit of a casual news deal right here. It'll probably stay the same. I don't know why I even brought that up because that's pretty much how things roll. So with that, we're going to go off now. And me and Clay are going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man and then Black Cat. All right. And I'm here with my man, Clay. How are you doing, Clay? I am doing pretty good and working hard on a lot of homework, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Other than that, you get this homework, which is <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man and Black Cat. And I don't know, at, at points, just to tie that in in a weird way, uh, at points, Nick Spencer does make you do a little homework because he does end up, and this seems like, again, we keep going with when this will get to Kindred, when is run, but it seems like he is tying some things in before we get to say the sinister war and then beyond and whatnot uh with that we kept saying like 75 we thought we we're gonna get big but with the sinister war coming up and this you know being the chameleon conspiracy i think we're gonna have to wait till 100 i think we're gonna have yet yeah, and he's tying a lot of stuff up in a way like he's got to get these loose ends out of the way before he gets into the real big stuff and i think the sinister war is going to be huge as well um but this this issue it throws a lot at you. I, I like it enough, and I like it enough because it brings up some things that we haven't, you know, dealt with in a while, like the clairvoyant deal and stuff like that. Even Ned Leeds, the clone, like all this stuff going on gets thrown at you. But I, I hope that people who may have just jumped on aren't as confused with what's happening because I, I, I don't think. I mean, if you're there and there's Clay, you're sitting around, you're doing your homework, and somebody says, "Hey, there's this deal." called the chameleon conspiracy going on do you think that you would jump on for that like would that be something or the sinister war that would be the big thing right that you would kind of jump onto later i would i feel like out of the two sinister war would probably be the one that i would jump onto just because i know about the sinister six chameleon i'm not like the only thing i have ever seen chameleon in to be completely honest is the spider-man animated show i haven't really read him a whole bunch in comics so well, that little bit of deal he is uh, the first member of the rogues gallery by the way uh because he was in the first you know spider-man deal he's the first rogue huh. that spider-man fought that. and then came back and in on our patreon we ended up doing it this week the rest of the story podcast we ended up doing issue number 15 which is a big craven issue but Chameleon's in that as well. He returns to pretty much get Craven to go after Spider-Man. So they start building the Rogues Gallery even around Chameleon. He, he should be bigger, but, you know, he ended up getting a lot better guys and whatnot later. He is the half-brother of Craven, by the way, as well. Just a little bit of a, a tidbit. But, yeah, I think the Sinister War, that that's going to have everybody in it, it looks like, right? It's just going to be crazy. And so this one, I think that you're going to, do this in a way where I think that Nick Spencer is going to tie up some loose ends. He's going to use this right before the huge thing. I mean, if you're reading this, you're going to be into it and whatnot. Um, but you do end up even having maybe even things being tied up that I didn't even realize needed to be tied up. Or at least, you know, the idea would say Teresa, you know, Peter's sister. Is she real? And a lot of people, when she comes up, they have no idea who it is anyway. So I, I don't know. You know, we're not longtime Spider-Man 
readers. Like, you know, it's obvious. I mean, every time we talk about it, it's probably <laughs> yeah. pretty obvious. But <laughs> like, if Teresa Parker, if we find out that she's just been uh, a body double, a fake thing made by, it's not going to upset me that much. The way that's explained, I, I would want to know what other people would think. But we'll we'll see how that goes. That's kind of hinted at. In this one, but it is Amazing Spider-Man number 67, written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira and Carlos Gomez. You have Wayne Foucher, Marcelo Ferreira, and Carlos Gomez inking. You have Maury Hollowell and Andrew Crosley on colors and VCs Joe Caramagna on letters. So a lot of people involved in the art. I thought it was pretty good overall. Uh, Peter Parker's life has been crazier than usual, causing him to lose track of several important people in his life. One such person is his old friend, Betty Brandt. Who returned to NYC, surprising Peter with the news that she's pregnant. But some people, uh, Peter lost track of, haven't forced themselves back into Peter's life. For instance, Silver Sable has been nursing herself back to health thanks to her shady boyfriend, the foreigner. When last we saw them, the foreigner was in league with Chameleon, but Spidey and his super spy sister, Teresa Parker, put an end to that. Teresa's interest in Chameleon was galvanized when he killed her fellow spy boyfriend, David. Peter also lost track of much of his fellow grad student classmates. One of them, Jamie, enlisted Peter to help create the clairvoyant, which can view possible futures. Peter could really use that invention to see just how he neglected his neglect is about to blow up in his face. So you end up having that. And remember, clairvoyant, when that was introduced, I, I thought it was a little goofy. Um, but it ends up being able to tap multiple multiverse dimensions to actually play out scenarios so that you can see which would be and gives you a stat. You know, it's like, okay, we'll play this out throughout all the multiverse, all the dimensions, all the deal. And it is 99% chance that this would happen and stuff like that. So they don't really spell that out here. And I'm afraid Nick Spencer's just going to change it because that was kind of a little wacky anyway. Uh, but Jamie ended up using it trying to, you know, dupe a super villain casino that ended up having things going on with, you know, chases and things with Spider-Man and stuff like that. And it didn't seem to work out, and that comes to play in this as well. But when we start, we end up at the hiding place, a interrogation prison between Latveria and Simkara, and all these things where the chameleon is. And you end up Teresa going and saying, listen, I'm here to take care of you. I'm mad. You, you killed my boyfriend, all that. Chameleon thinks different and pretty much says, I think you're here because of what I did, you know, simulating your parents. And you kind of think that you're a simulation. You're a chameleon type robot body double as well, don't you? And obviously she does. So she's going to try to figure that out. That's kind of a, a crazy deal. I mean, that's really the chameleon part of most of this, right? With the chameleon conspiracy going on. I don't know if you're going to be led to believe that everybody that's going around is one of these. I mean, with that. But we do go, and I'll let you go, because then he goes, uh, Peter goes, and he talks to Betty, who obviously is pregnant, says twice that she, <laughs> you know, made them let her fly. It's yeah, such a weird, like, combo that you have to do that yeah, twice, right? Yeah, she's, you know, burying the lead here, uh, and she actually says that in the fact that she is pregnant. And, she, you know, Peter's biggest thing is, okay, you're pregnant, but who's the father? You know, that I, I guess is the bigger question. She's like, Hey, I know it's going to sound crazy, but it's Ned's. And you kind of just see this, like just sadness come over Peter. And the reasoning being because of everything that was going on in the clone conspiracy a couple years back. Um, the whole thing with Ned being, uh, 
cloned and brought back technically and <clears throat> excuse me and we actually saw Ned recently as recently as like a year ago, 2 years ago. Um he had actually lived. We all thought that he had died. He actually lived. He was a homeless guy. Um, and he was trying to warn Peter of something with Betty. And he wasn't necessarily understanding what that was. And clearly, we now see that something is going on. This was very, like, I I almost got confused with this. Because the last time we saw this was when... Wasn't it between like, wasn't it that time when Rhino like crashed into? Yeah, it was all that stuff with Aunt May and stuff like that. And that that whole deal going on. And it was around the time where you even had Mr. Negative getting involved as well. Like all that stuff with Aunt May. And yeah, I I even thought that he died then. I mean, you know, you had a bunch of things. Very early on in this run. Um, so a lot of callbacks in this issue. I, I do enjoy some of the stuff here because it's like, oh, this is like when when I first started to leave the book. So at least I'm starting to like pick up on some things. But there are others that I am completely lost on, such as um, Teresa. The last time I read Teresa was in Spectacular Spider-Man. And which- she hasn't been around a lot in this. She ended up in a, a little bit. And I it's a weird deal because... You know, Nick Spencer's tying up loose ends, but it seems like he's also seemingly tying up some loose ends that aren't even his loose ends, the way he's going about with this. And again, like I said, would anybody be shocked if Teresa isn't real or Teresa is? You know what I mean? You have that, which is pretty cool, but I don't know. You know, that's the the time with, at least in this first issue with Chameleon, it, it has to go deeper. It seems like he's even saying that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, probably more about Teresa than me then. So with this, I just, you know, she showed up. I think me and Brandon were actually still talking about, uh, the book. And I think he like groaned, here comes Teresa. Like he doesn't like the (laughs) character or anything about it. So he went with that. But yeah, the whole deal is he said, you know, me and Harry came up with that deal where we made the dupes of the parents so that we can kind of mess with Peter again. And then, you know, she came around that point and she's wondering, am I part of that? He kind of hints at that. He says, you want to know if you're like them. So, you know, you get the idea. You go to Empire State University and we get back to Clairvoyant. And this is the thing with, with Nick Spencer's run. There are things that come up after years, it seems. And you're almost thinking that it's like three days later. You know, this idea with Clairvoyant, this stuff was a while back, and now it's just as if it's been an afternoon where they're back, they're working on it, and they're going. And the big thing was the power source before uh, they needed some big power source, all these things, and that is still the problem. It almost goes like a step back to get back to that, to get you in. I wish that they explained more about the Clairvoyant device for people because, like I said, it is a little wacky the way it goes. I I like it, but I don't. And right away, you thought that Jamie was going to be a, a villain, but at least he's just a guy. And we find out a little background because him and Peter flip out. He says, why aren't you telling me where you got that power source before? Peter's like, well, I can't do that. And by the way, you've been using this without me knowing because it shouldn't have run out of battery by now. And we know that he went and tried to dupe the supervillain casino deal with Chance and the foreigner. All this stuff kind of all wraps around into each other. But he gets pissed and says, basically, I'm taking my toy. I'm going home. 
the hell with you, Peter. Peter goes off, and then you end up having Jamie go home because Peter's like, what's got into him? He's in a real mood, but I don't really know much about him. And you get, you know, you see that there is some likability to him because even with him stealing, he steals a candy bar. He's dirt poor because his mom is on dialysis and they can't afford anything. They're in a shitty neighborhood. You end up, he steals a candy bar to give to his sister. It's nice enough, right? I mean, it it seems really surface level, the idea of it. Like, oh, let me tell you this. His life is, you know, in ruins because his mom's sick. But that's enough for me uh, to go. I still don't know how much I like the clairvoyant and him. Um, but the tie-in is that Chance comes and comes and says, listen, you got to pay. You ended up using this thing. We need that. And ends up, you know, I'll, I'll get you a power source, all these kind of things. Uh, did you read anything with the clairvoyant story? Or I did you, not. So I was, yeah. I was a little lost here. Um, I have no clue who Jamie is. So Just some guy at, at the Empire University. I mean, it is just a lab partner of Peter's who ends up making this crazy device, right? So, yeah. I mean, but like I said, that's what I was wondering. Would people know or care about this? It, it does seemingly, if you've been reading, even the reading the past two, like a long time, it's still because it was so far back in my mind that you're like, what the hell is this? And they do go into it, but more of a not explaining that much, but more about just the repercussions of what did end up happening. And even me reading it, I forgot some of the things. It's been so long. So I wish there was a little more of a recap well, deal. I'm looking at this. the editor's notes now. So the editor's notes goes as far back as referencing uh, Amazing Spider-Man 816. This issue today is Amazing Spider-Man Legacy 868. So they're going back 50 issues and expecting people to be like, hey, exactly. just and so I you know. remember some. Also, you know what? I think that... I get it. I get the legacy numbering and whatnot. But if you're in the run, give us the regular number two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Say, you know, Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man number 42. Yeah. Something like that, right? It, it actually bothered me that you're going, okay, we're playing the legacy deal. I understand, but eh, it, it's not as easy to look up for some people as it would be to just say this run but it is, number But it 31. is over 50 issues. So that means because this book is this book comes out, what, every two weeks? So you're looking at two and a half years. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. And so you're you're doing and I said I liked that story enough, but even I forgot. I, I'm telling you, when I first saw Chance, it wasn't like, oh my god, Chance. And then I realized, oh man, that was that casino deal. You, you end up even with that. You see that pretty much like what looks like a shield helicarrier type deal, that big yeah. jet thing. That's the casino. And, and so they don't even like I don't know, you'd be like, What is this ship? You know, like so you weird, kind of right? they they give you they the give rundown, you enough, right? Like yeah, they, that's the thing. They give you the small little pieces, but as far as the relationship, as far as like what this clairvoyant is and why it's so valuable, they didn't necessarily give you anything. I had no clue that it like touched on different dimensions. Yeah, and so, gives you a percentage. So it if, gives you yeah. if somebody were to just jump into this, like I did. Uh, I mean, I, I read I read the first, I would say, year and a half of Spider-Man, but then I dropped it and then we came up here on on the podcast and started reading it again. So I missed a bunch of stuff. I wasn't expecting there to be a callback from two and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And even with that, like me and Brandon, Brandon had enough. 
he stopped. He said, I'm never <laughs> ever reading a Nick Spencer <laughs> book again. And he stopped. So I ended up stopping because I was like, oh. but then I thought, you know what? This is silly. I, we have a Marvel podcast. You can't ditch Spider-Man. So I think it was around the shutdown where I just screw it. I read every issue. I just sat there. All these issues that I missed, which the, this was part of it. So, you know, even me, I didn't even it was only a year or so ago when I cut and I still you know, thought that it should have been a little more spelled out. Uh, Nick Spencer does this deal, though, that he does seemingly, you know, he rewards you for being loyal and reading all the issues. But like I said, I still was like, well, man, then you get Silver Sable again. Something else that came up that she ended up almost dead, the foreigner Sable, all these things going on where you are alluding to things. It's a weird deal. I guess he doesn't want a full out recap here. So you get an editor's note sometimes, and he alludes to some things that happen. But really, all you need to know here is that the foreigner and Silver Sable are a couple. He ended up, you know, paying and doing all that to save her as she was, like, burning in a a fiery wreck deal. But he's also taken some money, whatnot, and he was involved in that casino. All these things are kind of intertwined. I forgot all about them. There are big things that Nick Spencer had. But now I realize, boy, there is a lot of things that I just let go and and didn't even realize how many loose ends and how many things. At one point I was asking, like, when is Clairvoyant going to come back? And I just thought that it was done. I thought, well, I guess he just ditched it. Well, he doesn't ditch things. Again, I'll give him credit. He doesn't. But when they come up two years later, he's like, oh, my God. But I think that what happens here is you've got a little bit of an idea. You can go back to the issues and then he'll start pushing forward with the stuff coming on because really this is like a a whole it's not flashbacks but it's almost like hey everybody this is the stuff that we're going to deal with that we're left behind and whatnot let me get you enough up to speed and then we'll get with the thing going because there's not a ton of actual story progress this is a lot of oh my god i forgot about that oh my god i forgot about this oh my god what's happening i mean the big thing where shocked me too that ned leads being in New York City with Betty was not the cliffhanger. When you end up having Peter open up the door because he goes to see Betty, she answers she's like, oh, by the way, we can all catch up. Come on in. He's like, oh. And then you see Ned there. That's an awesome cliffhanger. It's not, though. We keep going <laughs> because we have to continue with Teresa and the chameleon. But just that is it's a shock. I mean, yeah. he opens it up because of the idea, too, of and I think Nick Spencer does a great job of this of the idea it's a clone you can't trust clone like all these things where oh well thank god you know betty's pregnant with a clone we'll see what that does but who at least it's just betty let's go and then when ned's actually there and looks really nefarious in that suit you're like holy crap what's going on with that but again we saw you know ned seemingly die a couple times now up to this point so if you're going to point the idea that it's called the chameleon conspiracy and the idea that he's making body doubles and things like that suddenly ned showing up this might be not the clone it may be a dupe by a chameleon who seemingly is putting into play i'm going to really mess with your brother while he's talking to teresa like that's what he likes to do so we'll have to see and if that's the case Then there's real trouble because the clone, like you said, the clone said, Betty, Betty's in trouble. So why would that clone then shave, take a shower, head off to Europe and and then get Betty pregnant in a a way that looks like it's bad? You know what I mean? It's that's weird. And so if he was there, 
There's another one of me running around. It's a body double deal chameleon. He wasn't able. That would make more sense. That would make more sense that he was trying to warn Peter, go and save and protect Betty. And in the way Peter does, as Nick Spencer really is pushing again at this point, the idea that he doesn't get a hold of his friends and family and things like that. He's letting things kind of lie and he's not getting, you know, he's not connecting with the people he should. So all of a sudden where he, she, it, the deal, Peter says when Ned came back as a, I should have told Betty, I didn't because I didn't want her to see somebody that she loves die twice. And at this point he's died like 80 times, I think. But <laughs> I, I think that this is more than just like, obviously Peter's going to have clones on the mind, which he does a lot. And this might just be a chameleon plan with the foreigner, all that, because the foreigner does end up saying to Silver Sable, yeah, I had to get a bunch of money that I took out, you know, of the the country's coffers because I have something that's really, really cool that we're doing. I'll talk to you later, baby. And, it, you know, it might be that whole deal with this to finally just not even just take Peter down, but really screw with him, uh, you know, with all this. And just the idea that it is possible. And then again, maybe this isn't he doesn't talk to Betty. This might not even be the real Betty. I mean, you could have a lot of crazy. Betty might still be just. You know, over there in Europe doing her deal without Peter knowing because he doesn't keep up with her. So even her like saying that twice, they didn't let me fly, but I, you know, they they were really cautious about flying. Like seemed like a weird, like act convincing type deal. But you know, I'm just making up stuff. We'll see. We'll (laughs) see how it goes. But I'm telling you, I think that what they're setting up here with Chameleon, with that, you are playing. Of, Of course, calling it the Chameleon conspiracy plays on the clone deal anyway. But the idea that you're not going to be able to trust anybody that you see because of this whole deal. But yeah, at the end, you end up Teresa beating the crap. She already shot Chameleon in the shoulder, beating the crap out of him. You better start talking. Tell me what's going on. And then Chameleon said, well, first off, let me let you talk to somebody. It's like, this is your life, Teresa, because here is behind door number one, the man who killed your parents. Here he is, the finisher. And he comes out and I'm like, okay, I think the Ned Leeds deal was a better cliffhanger for me. Personally, I mean, you get the finish. I'm like, all right, the finish. Yeah, let's go. With right, the, with so much information overload with this issue, I feel like there's two cliffhangers when there should only be. Well, technically, with the uh, backup story, there's three cliffhangers, and and he should just stick with one. Stick with one. And I I understand he has so many stories. I mean, we're starting. Is, it, it's starting to feel whoo. like Jason Aaron, but. <laughs> it is. That's the problem. That's a, And I was going to bring it up, and I thought, no, you know, I like Nick Spencer way we've more than en- Jason We've Aaron. been enjoying this right. one. We, we yeah, have. And so what I'll say is I was going to bring up the idea that you're going to have a Winter Guard book coming out, Winter's Guard book coming out, and it's like from the pages of the event, that Winter's Guard stuff has been like two years ago. Like you're now having a mini like, But this, I like Nick Spencer so much more. And so at least he's tying stuff up in his own book, right? You're not getting a mini series or nonsense like that, but it also ties in where usually we end up liking it then later. I can't say that I hate this issue. I my head was spinning. And so I do think of Jason Aaron though when I'm reading all these things, these two books, Avengers and Spider-Man, huge books where they seemingly want to tell 7 million stories, but Nick Spencer always is telling a spider-man story yes. that's the biggest difference in my mind he's always telling a spider-man story and he just ends up leaving things you know out and about and he goes back 
Jason Aaron wants to tell everything but an Avengers story, and that's what drives <laughs> me nuts. With the, he really does. And he, it seems, like I said, the book is based on being backdoor pilots for miniseries constantly. So that drives me nuts. I do like this, but I, I just – if I could go and I'm going to end up, I'm going to shuffle these things. Just put this Teresa Chameleon deal right before. You You even have the lead up where you have Teresa's like, you know, I'm going to do this. You're lying. I, I'm, you know, real. I'm Teresa Parker. I'm the daughter. And he's like, well, if you really think that, shoot me in the head because you got your answers now. You won't need me. And she doesn't. Just keep going with that story to the end. Have the finisher and then show as Peter going to see Betty with the cliffhanger of Ned. That just that little shuffle, I think, would make yeah, this. So I like, do, I oh do, my God, Ned! I do agree that the Ned reveal is bigger than the finisher. Yeah, yeah. It's and she's already kind of said the things, but to see that he's there, that's big to me. And in my mind, just this is me. You end with a Spider-Man Peter Parker cliffhanger, like, oh my God, like you know, you kind of want that instead of the. Here's the guy, the finisher who killed your parents. Okay, whatever. But with that, you do have that backup that you said. It's Doc Ock continuing where seemingly it's Kindred with a worm in his head trying to talk to him about, you know, going and messing with people. There's not too much to it. You only get a couple pages. But you do see you made a deal with the devil, Otto. And you end up seeing that. And that, that's the deal. I, I actually like Doc Ock. I really like Superior Spider-Man, uh, you know, the deal where he became Spider-Man of the West Coast and stuff like that. Um, but this is cool to get him back his memories and things like that so he can go off and just be. And it looks like what you're going to get, and even the things that I saw where they show the island, Sinister War is coming, that you're going to get like a bunch of groups going after Peter and this, you know, the dangerous game, Spider-Man. Stuff like that, but we'll see. We'll see what it's like. But you know, with that, there's not that much to it. But it gets you kind of excited. You know, you see Doc Ock. That's cool. Um, but yeah, and even says he's in prison. Remember, they put, put him in the deal, and uh, he can get out at any time. They say we're going to do some work, whatnot. So there you go. There you go with that. But the overall book, I like it. Uh, I'm gonna, g- I'm gonna give it an eight. I, I'm between a seven five and an eight. I'm gonna be positive and give it an eight because it is. While it, it, it made my head spin, it is bringing up the bunch of things that are, were lying there, some of which I completely forgot about. I just wish that it eased newer readers in that this is a long run already. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not, but it's 67, you know. You it's, a long, then, it's a long run for 2021, I will say. With, with how people write for the trade and how we know that ever since the controversial Tom King's run – Everybody wants that sweet 100, but it's just not realistic sometimes. Yeah, and it, it gets to be a little long winded, and some people dropped off, come back on, because when you started getting the Kindred, that took so damn long that the, I, I would say there are people who ended up, well, I'm not going to read this anymore. I'm sick of him hitting at Kindred, and then coming back, oh, man, Sin Eater, Kindred, they're not really getting much of a resolution, really, but then get missing a lot in that middle, and I wish that he kind of, Spelled that out a teeny, teeny bit more of what's happening here, especially clairvoyant was the big one. But remember, we still have like overdrive riding around doing things and like all these other things leading into this, that there are these other stories as well. So we'll see. But he made that Jamie actually fleshed out that character a little bit more. But if you don't know who he is, you won't even really care. But 
Uh, what would you give it? Yeah, I am going to be the negative side of your 80. I'm going to, I mean, I am going to go seven, five just because I, my head, my head was spinning because of the things that I honestly did not know about. They did reference a lot of uh, back issues. So that way I can, if I am interested in learning about those characters, I can go and read it, which is always a good thing. Uh, and it was great. I, I love the art in this book. Um, especially those two pages when Spider-Man is returning to see Betty. I don't know what it is. I don't know who that artist is because I feel like it's a complete change. Seeing seeing that art with Spider-Man, you know, swinging, gorgeous, absolutely amazing. And although I'm a little tired of events, the Sinister War, although I kind of rolled my eyes when I saw the title Sinister War, I'm like, okay, at least it's more Spider-Man. So... I'm I'm okay with it. So I will be getting it a 7.5. Yeah. And with that, it is kind of one of those things. When you see these books where if you do have seven editor's notes to see this, see that, that does show you you left a lot lying on the table. That is a while back that editorial at least thinks that you have to spell that out because people are going to forget. That's fine. And you can go read it. That's cool, especially if you have the you know, unlimited app. It's so great nowadays. It makes it so much easier, but still that's a lot that you left laying around that you have to keep throwing these in. But I don't mind a lot of these reviewers that I saw that were reviewing this already on their websites and stuff are going with that idea of, well, this shows that he is getting ready for the stretch run. He's trying to tie. And I go with that, but that doesn't annoy me. At least we see he's doing that. It would be worse if we get to the end. We're like, well, what the hell happened to clairvoyant? And then the answer would be who? Because nobody would remember him anyway, I'm telling you. I, I like him, but nobody seems to care about him. But still, I'll, I'll give him credit. Uh, it, it's it's frustrating sometimes, but he does end up coming back to things and tying it up. But we're going to go, speaking of tying up, we're going to go to Black Cat. We're going to go to Black Cat number seven, written by Jeb McKay, art by Michael Dowling, uh, colors by Brian Reber, letters by uh, Farron Delgado. And this involves this whole Gilded Saint, the whole thing with Manhattan. It started out cool. Me and you were down on it. The idea of throwing in this Gilded Saint and doing immortality. And, you know, we we figured that Felicia is not going to end up getting out of this with that. But how would she not? And it, it just almost like this seems like, all right, we're just going to have to get Felicia out of this without immortality. And we'll just do whatever is going on with it. You don't even see like Bruno or Dr. Corpse in this. You even have at one point, it seemingly is them talking possibly at that victory deal, but that's more of Odessa and the New York Steve's Guild. And here's the thing. She, Felicia ended up stealing immortality from Odessa. Why is she fine with it by the end? And just <laughs> says like, eh, you know, almost like things ended up evening out. It, she, it makes it seem even Steven. I'm like, where are you getting even Steven here? She went and screwed your deal up, almost destroyed Manhattan, but because she then saved it, even if she was duped by Black, but it doesn't matter. It, it, there's no even Steven here. They play it almost at the end, like Vin Rings and Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. See, Bruce Willis ended up seeing some real bad stuff that Vin Rames is like, I don't want you to tell anybody, and we're good. I don't get that here. It's very odd, but here is the deal. Felicia Hardy has been working alongside her former mentor, the Black Fox, pull up the ultimate heist, breaking the extra-dimensional vaults in the New York Thieves Guild, currently run by the deadly Odessa Drake. Unbeknownst to Felicia, the Fox had a secret plan that involved more than just ripping off the Guild. 
When he and Felicia finally gained access to the vault, he struck a deal with the godlike entity inside known as the Gilded Saint. The deal was immortality for himself and Felicia in exchange for the deed to Manhattan. The pact was sealed before Felicia could stop it, and Manhattan was sucked into the vaults. Uh, into the vaults, desperate Felicia sought to help. The only other person who has in-depth knowledge of the Gilded Saint, uh, Odessa Drake, setting aside their differences, the two formed the plan, one that requires Felicia to make the perilous journey into the vaults. And they did make that plan, but even that was real sketchy and really nothing. And so basically, what, what ends up happening? I, I could sum this up in my way real quick. Felicia goes into the vault and then turns that deed into that Banksy painting that when somebody bought it, it went through a shredder. That's all this is. It ends up burning because she ends up putting... A burn thing on it It's so silly that you have a Gilded Saint God that is thwarted By the idea that a thing Burned up I'm like I don't Get it I like this thing seemed too Big at points now it seems too goofy at the End to just end up then Oh my I'm gonna grab the black fox And now he's in the vault it just takes care of Him he's out seemingly isn't Immortal anymore anyway but he's in the vault I don't know you have some nice conversations between them. And, you yes, know. but I was about to be really pissed in the beginning because we we get the what has now become a trope of Fox and Black Cat with this bench at Coney Island. We've seen it several times in this run, and they start to have this conversation. And I was like, they didn't even show her going into the vault. What happened? But then she goes back and she's like, oh, well, this is how my day was spent. And then that actually shows her being in the vault, seeing what happens. There is one thing that's a little convoluted that I do not buy in this whole story, which is the fact that she like chipped the, the, the uh, deed to Manhattan. The deed to Manhattan was not framed when they gave it to the the saint and then now, and now it is. And it's like, Oh yeah, it was, it was the chip was here the entire time. That's one thing that I will call out uh, just because I immediately noticed it. But this issue overall, I just felt like it was, we both said the, the entrance to the supernatural stuff really was a turnoff for us. And I felt like, uh shoot uh mckay sorry uh cuz yeah, yeah mckay uh he he i felt like he was like okay i just need to end this somehow yeah that's all i think it is still and, that's how i think it and ended and that's how it ended it was just like hey let's just throw this out there okay it's done let's move on yeah yeah and even it ended in 3 it's part 3 here because it did continue from before but it just ended up like you said that it was laying out there I got to get this done so I can get to the next thing. Let's just kind of fudge this. Let's make it seem big, you know, with the Gilded St. Manhattan. But really, I mean, the idea of a god entity in a vault that wants the Manhattan and it's going to suck in. Did you ever think, I mean, at one point where you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen with Manhattan? (laughs) Like, no, it's not going to work. And even then. You kind of get like, what are the other heroes and people thinking at this point when things are going on? And it's just, it's too big for Black Cat. It's way too big for her to to get involved. And then, like I said, Banksy it up so that the thing just burns while, you know, you end up having Felicia talking to Black Fox about this and, and basically says that she wants to make a deal with the Gilded Saint. Hey, Gilded Saint, I have a two part deal. First, take, take away my immortality. And again, 
Why is that anything? I mean, it was silly to even have it. She does explain it in the book well that Fox wanted to do it just so he feels like he wasn't selfish. And I that's understand what we, that. We, right? had, we had said that when we because he was like, oh, well, you're you're here. Yeah. And, and it just seems silly. You even said I remember you saying like, what are they, are they going to allow this that she's immortal at? Because that takes away anything for the character. She could just do whatever she wants then. And yeah, I mean, she kind of does anyway, but it's it's different than that. Just to make her immortal is ridiculous. Now, if she would have said at this point, listen, I don't want to be immortal now. Well, what's that? that well, make Odessa Drake immortal again. At least get it back to where you started. So there's something that she has given back to Odessa. But it just ends up pretty much, oh, what does Odessa get out of this? She gets nothing out of this for this plan because she goes in and says, hey, like I said, get rid of my immortality. Done and done. Gilded Saint says, I really don't care about that. That does nothing for me. So, all right, I'll do that. And then says, I'll give you information because Black Fox is going to dupe you. And you're expecting something smart, something clever along the lines of the monkey paw of, you know, not be careful what you wish for, but the fine print. You know, the idea, I want to be able to have all the time in the world to read my books. Oh, no, I just stepped on my glasses and I can't read. Like something like that, that the way that the verbiage was spelled out to the Gilded Saint, he didn't see there was a backdoor out for Fox. That's not what it is. It, it's actually Felicia lying. That's all it is. He's going to dupe you. Oh, he's going to dupe me. Oh, my God. Well, Felicia says this to Fox and he goes, well, I'm not going to dupe him. Why would I? I'm immortal. Well, he doesn't know that. This is a god. And even then, she walks through this whole damn thing and says, and I do like that, like, you would think that somebody like, you know, Felicia would think that in this, everything is just riches and gold from every walk of the the earth, every time deal. This would be what somebody like her dreams of, but she realizes that, you know, what are you going to do? You know, talk to your money? Like she says, it's a desert of riches. You can't do anything with it. And when she then she finds her watch. Oh, there's my watch. Just to give it to, to Black Fox. And then he throws it back at her. I'm like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, this watch. Uh, and I even thought, like, that was a dupe. Like, the Gilded Saint, he's tricking her. Like, no, she just found her watch in this. I mean, that's it's not even a needle in a haystack. This is a needle in a, in a universal haystack. She finds that person. And, and then goes then and it's like, oh, he's going to. And, and okay, done. We have a deal. I'm like, what deal is this that a god would would end up doing oh he's gonna dupe me thanks for the information now we're good you get out because basically the deal she has to get out of the vault now because nothing leaves it so it just ends it's so goofy gilded saint comes and just says i'm gonna take you down you burn this thing no i didn't oh my god you know i love you fox i love you too felicia throws the watch boom boom and then she's sad and then she goes off in the victory party at the bar with no name kind of cool deal there but there's odessa who meets her up on the rooftop and says, we did it, baby. I mean, high five. I'm like, what? What are you doing, Odessa? This is where you have to have the Ving Rhames deal, where you have to have the Marsalis in Pulp Fiction that comes up and says to Felicia, I never want to see you again. I mean, we're good now. You can leave here, but you screwed me, my immortality. You did all this. You ended up breaking in the vault. You make me, because if this gets around to it, it makes the New York Thieves go look like chumps. All this stuff going on. She should say, I mean, at a point, maybe even leading to something pretty cool. And there I do see Bruno and Dr. Corpse. They're actually tending bar at the like they can't even have a day off. So you end up, though, with this where 
you would maybe be able to vault this book and vault, you know, kind of a pun. I didn't mean it, but that, <laughs> listen, you lost your New York privileges. You got to get out of town. You're not allowed in New York anymore. The Thieves Guild will kill you if you come back. And then maybe, and that would be awful for Felicia. This is her home. This is where she goes. Now, they do hang out in New Jersey for some odd reason. I'll never know. But you end up with this where maybe this takes the book somewhere else. Maybe you can go to a different locale for a little. She's always going to come back and go against that. But Odessa Drake and the New York Thieves Guild should not be good with what happened in all of this. They should not be good with it at all. Yeah, they may have. Because Odessa and her... You see, they start making out, right? They're making out on the rooftop. They have a connection. But I think at this point where Odessa should be impressed with Felicia, she should also be furious with her and say, like, you got to get out of here. I don't want to see you. But even at the end, they start making out. You you have almost like it's weird because it says to be continued. And then with the coming soon, I I thought like we were going to get another one of these long. I don't know why I thought we were going to get a long break again. With this, because Felicia's going to be involved in getting Infinity I mean, Stones and people coming Technically, it's a little bit of a break. We we get two months, two and a half months, and then another black cat. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a deal because she ends up saying, you know, hey, I don't think this will actually work out with Odessa. Well, no crap. And then she's going to go. But you even see that the coming soon. She's there with the Infinity Gauntlet on, but more she's going to be going off to do this Infinity Heist that she's involved with. Again, getting very big. I, I just, this book was a fun book when it first started the last run because it was a smaller book and you ended up having that idea of Felicia doing her things that wouldn't really register with a lot of the other character, but then she was kind of duping them. She went and stole from Dr. Strange. That's fun, you know, but then when you start getting Infinity Stones, but also a Gilded Saint, it's getting too much. This would, a lot of alarms with these other heroes and what would go off, and it it just, I don't know, it, it, it's just too big for its britches, I think, but I'm going to, I'm, again, I'm going to try to be positive, but I can't give this any more than a seven to end this. It felt like a rushed way to end it. Yeah, I'll give Jeb McKay a deal. Like, I didn't sit there, like you said, the frame I think the Banksy stuff, but with that also, it's like, it just felt like nothing. And in such a huge concept, it ended up being nothing. Not that it was that convoluted, but it's just, eh, you just kind of lied your way out of it and then did this and the black foxes in the vault. If you want to get him again, you could do some sort of saving, but I, I don't know. He also, I think that he was getting a little tired in the whole thing. It's kind of tying Felicia down a bit with him around. So he's gone. Uh, unfortunately, he ends not looking like Doc Holliday, uh, you know, the whole deal where he ends up where he's going to go off and he should say, you're my Huckleberry, as, as they went. I thought you were going to get that, actually, but yeah, so I, I'd rather the idea that he looked more like Iceman, but that's me, and, you know, playing a little volleyball there in the uh, vault, but what would you give it? I would give it a seven. I, I thought I was going to be a little bit more harsh just because of how lackluster this ending was, just because, like we said, it was kind of just like, you know, he was he was just writing it in and not in the sense of him being a writer. He was just like, eh, let's just do something to end this. And I do like this story. I do like Black Cat. Uh, I do agree with you that it is weird that they're wanting to push Black Cat to be doing these crazy, you know, big supernatural. Even now it looks like cosmic things. 
But I don't know if it's because they're like, oh, it's the only way that she will sell. That's what I I don't think think, it is. I I don't think that's true either. I don't agree. I'm with you. But I think that's why I was thinking it right when you were saying that, that they must think, okay, because she was involved in the King and Black, but everybody was. So that makes more sense. Like, you know what I mean? All hands on deck there. And that was to try to push people to get into this regular book then. But now you're going doing it again. And it just seems like. You know, she's going to end up like The Undertaker. She's just going to show up for WrestleMania each year to do these big <laughs> things. And I don't like that because I like the in-between stuff. I like when she's just there with Bruno, Dr. Corpse. They're doing their deal. They're trying to dupe some people. And you're you're leaving that behind for these big things. And me and Brandon, I think, back in the day even said, Felicia gets involved with stuff, but the only way they can do that is say that it's some sort of heist. Or you just add heist. Or, you know, something like that at the end, and she'll do anything. At one point in The King in Black, it was the heist to save Doctor Strange. That's not a heist. That's a rescue mission, but that doesn't click with her. You just call it a heist. You're going to go steal Doctor Strange. Okay, I'll go. So that's what it ends up being. Like, anytime she hears that, it's her trigger word, and she goes off. But it's I just want to be able to relax with this book. It was such a fun book and such a side deal. Like, you can just... Okay, I just read these, you know, back in the day, I just read the War of the Realms. I I did all this. Well, let me have some fun here with the Black Cat book. Let me just settle down and read that. And, uh, yeah, it's it's gotten away from that a bit. And it's a shame because I, I do... I do like Jed McKay, and I did really, really like this book at one point. It's, it's fading. It's falling off my pull list. And then I'll just, you know, oh, well, what big event's going to come down the line that they're going to throw in again? It's a shame. It, uh, it is. But still seven from both of us, right? So we got that. But before we go, as we always do, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me at Fanboy Clay on Twitter for the most of the time. I have been very active on TikTok lately. Uh, that will also be in the link tree uh, in my bio, so go check that out. Um, and, of course, I have a plethora of shows that I am a host of, that including uh, the uh, DC Alliance, the Batman News Weekly podcast. Comic Book Legion is still on hiatus. Uh, Mark is still getting all of his stuff in gear for him building his house. Of course, I'm here at the Weird Science Podcast, both DC and Marvel. And then, of course, the Ranger Alliance. Now, on what is today, today is technically the second. By the time y'all will hear this, it'll be either the uh, late in the day or uh, tomorrow on the 3rd. But on the 5th, um, I will be on the Geekverse YouTube channel. We're doing a charity stream, 14 hours. Uh, we're going to be raising some money. Uh, for some children so go check that out uh we're doing like a little tournament so i'll be a part of that yep yeah i saw some setups i saw some (laughs) cool wrestling like promos and stuff like that made me laugh uh but yeah check everything out with clay and that'd be cool And, and the whole deal with the geek ultimate alliance network with the whole deal with the charity thing is awesome so yeah check that out as well and yeah, that's that. So I'm going to go off. I think that it's just going to be me, myself, and I going off to talk a couple books now uh, because I believe that the nonstop Spider Man with me and Brandon is going to be on the spotlight. I'll just give you the hint Brandon didn't like it. And there's a little tip there if you want to go over to the Patreon, check that out. But we'll be back in a second with me, I believe, talking about Heroes Reborn. All right. And here I am with Heroes Reborn number five. 
there are, again, two stories, one a bigger one and then the other. And I mean page length because, again, you end up having the story of the overall Heroes Reborn regulated to five pages. That basically just shows you that Black Panther does exist in this universe and he is the new Ronin as he then you know, meets up with Blade and Cap. But the big part of this issue is the pageant of the Masters of Nocturnal Artistry. This is showing you that Nighthawk is indeed Batman of the Marvel Universe. It's written by Jason Aaron, art by R.M. Guerra, colors by Gulia Brusco. And then that second part, The Quest of the Ronin, is Jason Aaron writing, Ed McGinnis pencils, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Matthew Wilson, B.C.'s Corey Petit doing all of that lettering. And here is the quote-unquote recap or explanation. In a world in which the Avengers never existed, the Squadron Supreme of America are and have always been Earth's mightiest heroes. Phil Coulson, as President of the United States, oversees the Squadron while Mephisto is worshipped as a god. After a series of recent battles with their oldest foes, some of the squadron members have started to have doubts about the true nature of their reality. Meanwhile, Blade is the only one remaining of the Avengers who remembers the world as it once was. He has been gathering a team of former Avengers, including Captain America and Phoenix. Together, they've set out to restore reality while also searching for the young inheritor of the Cosmic Star brand, who we already saw. She's heading towards Earth. Now, with all of this, again, your mileage is going to vary. If you are like me, you want to see a story. You want to see something that is gripping and makes sense in this, not just, hey, look, Nighthawk is Batman here at the Marvel Universe. Now, some people seem to be having fun with it. Some people seem to have a great time with all of this stuff and treating it as a what if. But a what if this should be two issues three at most i mean i'm talking the entire event you know quote unquote event because when it was first announced and i say this every time we talk about a heroes reborn issue i said that i commend jason aaron for making it its own thing you know it's in its own space and also it's only 18 issues well we're almost done and i think that it's about 16 17 issues too long this issue you get a little teeny bit of progress by the end, but it's not really progress. They end up meeting up with T'Challa, who is the new Ronin, or not even the new Ronin, he's the Ronin in this, but there's not really any story progression to that. Now, with the main story, you do end up seeing Nighthawk as Batman. Now, in the first issue, when Blade went to talk to Nighthawk and said to him, I needed to look in somebody's eyes, and say, this world's not right, and I needed to see this, you know, glint of they knew what I was talking about, that they were aware of this. And Nighthawk was that person. He had looked into this. He had studied some stuff, and he realized. So that was cool. You end up with most of these chapters, though, making you not like the characters. And I know the play here. The play is almost the idea of, well, hey, everybody, if the Justice League existed in the Marvel Universe, it wouldn't be great. They'd be pieces of crap. But what I want from this is to show, I mean, make it so that Jason Aaron, in his mind, really just pretend that you know, Marvel bought DC and you can write 
the Justice League in the Marvel Universe and, and do this as because the actual Squadron Supreme doesn't realize what had happened. They're pretty much the Avengers of this world. The Avengers, you know, don't exist. So they're there. Yeah, they're under Coulson and things like that. But they are seemingly unaware as they start to figure things out. But with that, why not go with the idea of, okay, well, what if, and there's the what if, what if we did have the Justice League here? And and by the end of all these one shots, like you have Blur, you know, Blur's Flash. But at the end of the day there, I just want to go read Flash. I, I want to read a good superhero, uh, you know, and it's more of, you know, this Nighthawk, Dr. Spectrum, these sort of things. I'm like, well, I'll go read a Hal Jordan Green Lantern that actually is a good guy. Because that's kind of what I like about the comics. And I know that the basis of this is to get you, you know, so angry, I guess, that you, I need those Avengers back. But the Avengers story as a backup, you know, Blade going and getting Cap and whatnot, is, is doing so little that really all you are centering on in these are, oh, my God, this is the Batman of the Marvel Universe. But I, I just don't get the cut, like I would really like the idea of Jason Aaron going and then go with the idea of, okay, Batman probably would have been written by Stan Lee. Let's go with a, a backstory. Let's go. Let's get all this stuff going on. And at one point you ended up Stan Lee doing those, you know, kind of what if deals where he ended up writing. Imagine this, I believe it was when he ended up doing a lot of the Marvel or the DC universe things. But I, I just don't get the play of I'm reading this and, and this issue at a surface level, it's okay. But would I rather read this or just go read Batman? Because that's the problem. I'd rather just go read Batman. I'm a fan of both DC and Marvel. So I'm not even going to sit here and laugh like, oh, my God, look at how they're saying. Because, again, this isn't Batman anyway. It's Nighthawk. So you're ending up like doing this. But it, it's okay. You end up starting out with pretty much Ravencroft being Arkham. You end up having Craven you know, going after, and it's, you know, everything's an amalgam thing, but the amalgam stuff and all of that kind of was there in that first issue of Heroes Reborn. We've kind of gotten away from the cool things of, like, you know, a Dr. Juggernaut or, or stuff like that to just then kind of being just, like, almost like Jason Aaron has lost his zeal for this and just wants to get going. But really, again, my main problem is that the main book, the main Heroes Reborn book, is just... One shots for each of the characters of the Squadron Supreme instead of maybe using that as the backup or other, you know, standalone one shots with these and give me a story. But you end up having this, you end up having Nighthawk and he's a little over the top, but you know, he isn't the greatest. He doesn't make me feel like, oh my God, you know, Nighthawk is my favorite character now, or oh man, I wish that this was, you know, the Batman here. At the Marvel Universe because he's kind of a piece of crap. He hated his parents. His parents didn't love him. So he grew up in a loveless home, which then makes him pretty much desensitized to any sort of violence and things like that. And he even says at the beginning, my parents died. And I'd love to say that I do this at night as a way to avenge them and to make them proud, but ever. But no, they were jerks. I don't care. But and you do get. You know, some of the rules of Nighthawk, he ends up having to do things at night. He ends up having a whole deal where he can't really function as well in the day. He also 
ends up on Capitol Hill. Like, there's a lot of things that just kind of push by. A couple of Easter eggs with the art. You end up seeing the Winter Soldier arm at one point when he goes by, and he has a, you know, a dinosaur in the night cave. But that's the thing. Are these things clever? Is it clever that he has the night cave or the hawk rod? The hawk rod is is his car. Really? I mean, just call it the Hawkmobile, please. The hawk rod sounds sexy. But yeah, you know, you have this deal where he's heading off at a breakout at Arkham Asylum. You could go with the idea that they're making fun of this happens all the time. Riot at Arkham. Well, this is in Ravencroft, but he goes and yeah, you have. You know, the rogues gallery going on there. But what you are really pushing here is the idea that Green Goblin is his Joker. You even have Gwen Stacy here. That's pretty much his Robin or Batgirl, but more of a Robin. Uh, And you seemingly, you know, are going to tie some things into him even being, say, the Spider-Man type deal. He ended up getting the Venom symbiote suit that he ended up giving up, but then it went to uh, Red Skull, became the Black Skull, which we saw earlier with that. And yeah, he's, you know, fighting Doc Ox there. He's using actual octopuses to attack people. Uh, But then you get Green Goblin, and it is. It's just Joker. You see at one point then to tie back to the the Spider-Man stuff, though, he ended up throwing the whole deal with Falcon off of the bridge instead of Gwen Stacy, a Falcon, seemingly as if that Nighthawk and him were the Batman and Robin at that deal. That ended up breaking the Nighthawk's, you know, heart. But that goes into then where Green Goblin in the Ravencroft has Gwen Stacy. He's going to kill her. Uh, you end up where Goblin Gas is thrown. I mean, it, it's just right in your face what's going on here. It's making everybody laugh. Every, and so. Gwen ends up saying, no, you know, let me go kill him. But then it's like, don't kill him because that's what he wants. All these things twist and turn into the point where you have them come face to face. And as the goblin is dying out, he ends up, you know, falling, getting hit. He ends up even, you know, trying to kill himself. But as this is going on, he says, hey, this world's different. Don't change. And and what I do like this, this could be the subtle deal of this. If you're not aware, usually the Joker is so crazy that he knows the multiverse. He knows when things have changed. So Green Goblin there saying, don't let this world change back. I don't know about you, but I really like it this way. Now, this is as he's dying, too. So that's kind of like an idea like, oh, he likes it this way because he did want to die. He kept begging to be killed with all of that. And that makes Nighthawk start thinking of things. Now, if you're going to go with another thing here that it does remind me a little bit of the Button story at DC, where all of a sudden in the whole, you know, rebirth deal, the comedian's button came flying out and embedded it into the wall of the Batcave. And then Batman started to investigate. That's what it kind of looks like and kind of feels like to me with that. But still, the whole idea of this is then, Nighthawk, he goes on, he starts looking up things, he's checking out what might be different. The big thing is that Maya, Maya Lopez Echo, Phoenix Force, did get taken out of Ravencroft. That's the one person that wasn't there, the one person that got away, and he's trying to figure out what's going on with that, and you see that he, she was taken out by Blade and Captain America. And the big thing would be Captain America, Nighthawk's a smart guy, he ends up seeing, okay, well, it's with that Star Spangled Shield, so he is on the case now. But 
it's weird because this seems to obviously happen after that first issue where Blade ended up going to Nighthawk. Uh, but maybe this out of time, but I said at the beginning, that was a cool moment when Blade looked in Nighthawk's eyes and saw, yeah, you didn't flinch. You didn't look confused when I said this world's different. So you're on to the game as well. Uh, but then you get back to this to kind of show that. Uh, but then you get the backup. And again, if you're just here to say, hey, let's see a piece of crap Batman in the Marvel Universe. And see, this is what I'm saying again. You know, step back a second again. Like, I, I want it to be more, I, I guess, clever, but in a way that Jason Aaron really thinks this through and thinks, what would Batman be like in the, you know, in the Marvel Universe? What, what, what are the different rules here? What would they allow? What wouldn't they? Like, stuff like that. I know that the basic premise of this, and it's the problem, it's very surface level. The basic premise is, let's show a piece of crap Batman so that we'll want the Avengers back. That's all these things are pushing, but it's the same push over and over and over. And by this point, and I think that you leave Nighthawk and Power Princess at the end because those are going to be real cool. So you're you're hoping that this ups the ante again. Oh, man, we saw all these already, but, man, this is Batman here. This is Nighthawk. And, oh, man, Wonder Woman, Power Princess. But uh, I'm kind of, you know, bored with it. And I, I'm beyond the... the deal of trying to figure out why they did this and what's the story and the overall story because really we only have two more main issues with this and then a you know return but with that we've only got blade saying i think something's different going to america and then finding out yeah it seems like cap is the deal and i'm gonna go and but they haven't really done it they've gone to you know, Ravencroft, hey, Phoenix Force, you want to come with us? Yeah, I guess. You even have the push in that little, you know, recap or explanation of the idea that we got to get, you know, Starbrand, whatever. We haven't really even seen that said in the thing. We saw Starbrand, saw Starbrand with the Guardians of the Galaxy type deal, but we haven't really seen them like, oh, we got to do this, that, or the other thing. They're in Wakanda in this one trying to find a Black Panther that people think doesn't exist in this deal and and it makes sense where you would wonder okay and we did see the wakandan spaceship in that last issue but with this you end up seeing that black panther's on the case he is ronin here and he ends up trying to get some information and gets attacked by nighthawk they fight it out and just to have you know t'challa teleport back go back to wakanda where you end up having blade and Captain America standing there waiting for him. And there's really, there's nothing to this. Five pages of pretty much cool art, but nothing really to it at all. So he ends up where T'Challa comes back, and he's like, you shouldn't be here. You're right. Neither do you, T'Challa. All right, here we go. Let's see what's happening. And then to be continued. And and then you get at the end, here is the checklist that is left. And now remember, too, that these one-shots, that we have, say, American Knights and Marvel Double Action this week, they, they don't really push the main story. They're just there as, hey, little fun what-ifs with this. Hey, get this. You can pretend that, you know, the champions in this deal would be the Young Squadron, which is also then just the Teen Titans because we're pushing it all towards the DC side of things with that. But we have one, two, three, four, five, six issues left 
including Heroes Return, number one. So that, that seems like more of like a, not an epilogue, but just the idea, hey, we're back, whatever. But with that, we have two more of the main books, then the return. And we haven't gotten anything. We really haven't gotten anything. It's good art for the most part. And I, I saw some people not liking the the Nighthawk art. I actually liked it. I actually liked it a lot. But with all that, even with that, and, and the, you know, the art at the end looks really good as well. But there's there's nothing to these. These just seem silly. And, and I don't ever, I, I just don't see anybody ever going back to read any of these. You know, down the line, why would you? You're going to end up getting stories that are, are what ifs, but taking too long and not really doing anything with it. So overall, really what this ends up being, what I see the most out of this is that Screen Rant is grabbing things and, and making clickbait <laughs> headlines like they always do. Uh, it's been confirmed Black Widow it can defeat the Flash because she defeated Blur in the Seed Society number one time. Now that's not how it works. It's not what happens here. You can't do that. People were just yelling and screaming about it. It's, it's, it really reminds me of that idea. And I, I say this a bunch of times, but it does drive me nuts. I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. Now, if the Eagles lose in the first round of the playoffs to, say, the Dallas Cowboys, and then the Cowboys go, and much to my chagrin, the Cowboys go on to win the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean that the Eagles would have won the Super Bowl if they would have just won that one game. They they probably would have been beaten, you know, at some other point. You, you can't make that. And people go with that. Like, people are like, well, I'm voting, rooting for the Cowboys, even though they're the most hated team in Philadelphia, because that means that if they win, then we would have won. And I'm like, no, stop it. So with this, like, Black Widow beating Blur and this nonsense, doesn't it means nothing. And that's my end-all, be-all review blurb. This means nothing is what goes on. But if you're enjoying it, it's cool that it is contained. It's cool that it's only 18 issues and have at it. You, you can enjoy it. I do not. I do not. And the one shots involved with it, I like even less. So this, though, Heroes Reborn number five, I'm going to give a, a I'm going to give it a six. That's more positive, but I'm going to have to give it a 5.5. 5.5, that's a lot with art. It's just nothing to it. But if you like. You know, hey, look at the Batman at Marvel. You can go with that. But we're going to go on to the next book and the last book of the show, which is setting up something that me and Brandon have been dealing with. And I, I wanted to get Brandon to talk about this with me, uh, but he couldn't. He didn't have the time. So I'm going to go on to this and uh, we'll see what that's all about. All right. And what I'm talking about is Iron Man annual number one. And it is the not the start of the Infinite Destinies, but kind of. We end up having this whole, you know, Infinity Stone thing going in the background. We already have two people. And this is at a point where the Infinity Stones are merging with characters, emerging with people. It's not just, you know, on the gauntlet deal with that. And we already have Star is the biggest one that ends up having the Reality Stone. But we also have Overtime, who has the Time Stone. That was a bit of thing that me and Brandon had been dealing with back in the day in the book that you ended up having Loki and Wolverine team up stuff. And you had the idea of overtime getting that time stone, but we haven't seen much with him. Uh, Star we have, but not in this capacity deal. So what we're going to do is continue on and seemingly get more people with the Infinity Stones. And it's going to go through. It's kind of like a, a weird type of annual event. 
It's going to go through annuals. And that's cool enough, right? Because annuals are a lot of things that some people don't even get involved with them. Sometimes they're just side stories or whatnot. So you end up having this going on for a couple of months through these annuals. Uh, I don't mind that, but it's written by Jed McKay, art by Ibram Robertson, colors by Rachel Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Born from the remains of an omnipotent being, the six infinity stones, when gathered, grant untold power. They have wiped out half the life in the universe and resurrected it, and they have threatened and saved the multiverse. And now they have been sent out to bond with individuals. No one knows why the stones bond with a new bearer. Nor what will happen if they are gathered Will the story Well the story you're about to read Reveal another stone bearer Give a clue to the cosmically mysterious intentions Of the most powerful artifacts in the universe Read on true believers That's what it says Okay I think I will Thank you Jed McKay But you end up starting out with a team up That's pretty cool Miles Morales, Spider-Man and Iron Man Fighting Moloids who have come up from below Because the Mole Man he's boring you're boring, they say, and they have been watching a lot of reruns. So they love the Seinfeld. And they're going more with like they're watching the reruns, but really are in tune with the ones from New York City. Sex in the City, The Friends, right? They probably watch that reunion deal, all that. But they're excited. I actually find this to be a little bit silly, but I don't mind the idea that the Moloids are kind of pointing out that Mole Man has done crap for a while. And this generation, this younger generation of Moloids, they're antsy. They need to get something. They've never had any sort of fights to do. They never invaded. They never came. So they've been sitting around watching, you know, the, the reruns. And they've come out to find the Seinfeld. Now, at one point, they're yelling they want to find the Kramer. Nobody needs to find the Kramer, right? But they, they end up all, you know, in a silly way. It, again, though, are you here for the jokes? Because there are some jokes going on. But what also ends up happening with this is that these things tend to go on a little too long. And I kind of blame the idea that this is an annual. So you you have to have the extra page space. I'm not going to tell you that I think at the end of the day, this story needed the extra page space because it does drag at points it does end up repeating itself almost till we get to the end and what we're gonna get and even it says in that recap deal or setup it's just here to see who gets whatever stone is going to be given out again you know who is going to bond with the next stone now in the meantime you do have this connection where miles is talking to tony trying to figure out the assessor stuff it seems a little bit out of time. The timeline is a little wonky here while we're already into Miles' clone saga and Saladin Ahmed's solo Miles book. So when he's there, like this must have happened. And I, I kept looking if it said anything about like this takes place before this. And I, unless I'm blind and I am, but I couldn't find because this almost seems like it would have been like right after. The whole deal with the assessor, Miles comes out, it's all about the tech, and they take care of the Moloids and all like that. But like I said, that was Miles Morales, Spider-Man number seven and eight that he's talking about, and we're in 26 now. 26 just came out. So you end up like, okay, the time thing is weird, especially with what's happening with the stuff in his book, but... You can go with it because the only setup basically is Miles going to Tony and saying, yeah, this assessor, you know anything about him? He's got a lot of weird tech. He's got this damn tech that did a lot of wacky things. Do you know? Ah, well, I know tech. 
And even like I said, like the idea of this is okay, but things go too long every time. Like Tony's the tech guy. We know this. Miles knows this. Tony knows this. Everybody reading knows it, but he's got to go through the whole deal. Well, you know that Thor, he's into the God stuff. And you know, Captain America, he's in America. But me, I'm the tech guy. Yeah, we know that. That's why he's telling you this. But I don't know the successor, but maybe I do. But tell me his last location. All right. Well, I don't have the location, but what I did is we knocked down one of his drones. Can you go look at it? Tony goes, look at it and says, okay, I can track this. I can end up getting this stuff. Oh, it looks pretty good, but not as good as me, but pretty good. But I'm vain. You get a lot of this. And I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, man, Jeb McKay, he really gets these characters and gets the voices of them. That might be true, but it just it just goes too long. They, he ends up going. Tony goes over to the assessor's deal and, you know, starts fighting some guys, starts bragging about his tech. He ends up doing things with drones himself. But then he does end up coming face to face with Quantum. He ends up going and he's looking for the assessor. He's yelling, hey, are you here? Where, where are you? Assessor, I'm here. I'm going to show you. I want to talk about the tech and see what you're doing to the kids. And then this quantum shows up and quantum is able to kind of do teleports, warp things. It's, you know, almost like the game portal, but with fists where he makes like a little portal and then puts his hand through it. And that portal opens up in Tony's mask and punches him right in the chops. It's kind of a neat idea, uh, but can teleport around, can teleport. Tony goes to shoot quantum and quantum's now behind him and then teleports both of them to you know, actually, it looks very much like a video game, like a portal deal where you do have the assessor on a bunch of video screens. I, I'd love to see who sets up these cameras for this. Like the idea of thinking where, OK, what I want is a bunch of these screens like this one needs to focus on my right eye. And then this one, my left eye. And then this one, my mouth, this one, my nose. And then these three, my whole face. I'd be like, well, why don't you just have a big one that's just you? Like, well, why do we have to go through these games there? So he's like, listen, I don't have a lot going on. I, I want to up this. I, I want to make this pretty cool. I'm like, that's what I'm saying. It's not cool. So this is me and the assessor working out the semantics of this big, you know, villain entrance type deal. Me and him do not see eye to eye, though I might see more eye to eye with the left eye over there. Than the right. And also, he also says, by the way, I want the left eye on the right side and the right. <laughs> All right. All right. They're playing your games. But yeah, you end up with Tony then talking a lot of crap, blasting walls. Like, it's like, oh man, what am I in a, in a panic room? What am I in one of them puzzle rooms to puzzle boxes? Uh, but I can make a door. I'm going to blast the wall. And then he just walks through it. Then he is in an aerodynamics deal. And what, what is happening here? Is that the assessor, I, I don't know if you know this, he likes to assess things. That's his thing. Uh, also making weird video screens and stuff. But he is testing the armor. He's testing Tony. And so the, the first test, can you get out of this room? Okay, I bless the law. Then he ends up in pretty much an aerodynamics test. Everybody's seen this, uh, where you have a giant fan at the one end. And it blasts, and he's trying to use all his, you know, repulsors to knock it. He's using his rockets, his jets, or whatever. But in the meantime, he's got a kind of like it's just it just keeps going on and on. Then you just get two old pages of pretty much, you know, nine panel deal of Tony going through tests and fighting back and talking trash and going. So I just at this point, I'm like, come on, let's go, let's get moving because we're really here. I mean, we see Quantum. 
when is he going to get that stone? What stone is he going to get? What's happening here? And you can kind of guess what the deal will be. But the weird thing is, is he's doing all this seemingly without the stone because he's got a big hole in his chest. But we'll see. But with that, Tony's like, okay, let's go. Quantum's going to attack. He's doing the same thing. The portal deal. And he's punching Tony. He's beating him up. It's kind of a cool deal art-wise where they're separated by a distance. Yet you can have Quantum just beat the crap out of Tony. Tony's reacting. I'd laugh if, like, he goes the wrong way, you know, the uppercut to the right, and he goes left, like things, but that doesn't happen. But yeah, the whole deal is like, uh, you know, come on, teleport, teleport away, come on. And he keeps saying this because he is basically trying to dupe Quantum into, you know, revealing and getting at the assessor himself, uh, which he did because what he did was he used his little iron spider deals to go and put a virus in the whole computer system of the assessor he gave it a cold he did what is this independence day he goes then and just grabs you know hold of the assessor picks him up again says what did you do to miles he's my friend you're doing things to kids i can't stand you whatnot but he then ends up you know almost seemingly like he's going to kill the assessor but then it just says later elsewhere and you do end up because everybody is falling apart the assessor they're all you know the computer program shutting down, but then they are re-uploaded later elsewhere, as I said, and Quantum goes to the assessor and says, just like, well, that was a loss, but, you know, unacceptable. We're going to have to do this. The Brooklyn facility has been wiped. All that stuff going on only then to have the Infinity Stone go and enter Quantum and just there it is. He gets and he gets the Space Stone. I saw even with people because I was trying to like, it'll just happen. But I mean, really, by the end, that's the problem with this. The story itself is kind of just filler after filler with this. You just need to get quantum to get the space stone. You do. So let's move on. I just hope that when we get the mind stone and the power stone, those are the only ones that are left. You have a little bit more of a meaty story to dig into with this because we end up like i said you have these annuals next captain america annual and then black cat annual then in july amazing spider-man annual number two thor annual number one and in august miles morales spider-man annual number one guardians of galaxy annual number one and avengers annual number one seemingly being this whole annual based event with the infinity stone so we'll see what's going on you do end up getting a backup of nick fury that we've seen Nick Fury trying to fight his way back and things like that. So we'll we'll go with all of that all wrapped up into one. For me to give it a six point five, I really like the art. The art's really good, and we get you know we get Quantum has the, the Space Stone, so you end up with a big thing by the end. It just took a while to get there, and I don't know that it's one of those like I love a story where I could say like even if you're not reading you know any of these things or you don't know who Star is, you don't care. About you know all this It's really cool though it's a really cool Like I wish Miles stayed with Tony I wish you had a bunch of other things like that And I wish that it just hit more But Tony just for 25 pages just talks crap As he's slowly Getting to the assessor Who then just ends up You know uh, re-downloading And uploading himself uh, later And wiping that facility so by the end Yeah 6.5 uh, but yeah, that's it. And I'd like to hear what everybody thought of these. I wish I was a little more positive with all these, but I don't know. This this week kind of was a little bit down for me overall. 
with the stuff going on but that can all change next week with all the books that come out but hey thanks for listening i hope you like this little expanded deal it'll get a little more tight i'm just i'm trying to do this and i got to get things you know set up in a way and, and going so i do promise to tighten the ship you know tighten the screws there it's a little sloppy joe right now but yeah by the end of that uh i hope you liked it so go and follow us over at twitter at ws marvel comics you follow us we'll follow you back also check out our website weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com as well as our patreon patreon.com slash weird science so you can get brandon this week oh brandon he was in rare form as he always is and just a shout out if you didn't know i'm also on a dc comics podcast very easy to remember weird science dc comics podcast and a manga and anime podcast that's also easy that is weird science manga and anime podcast i don't like to make things clever or fancy it gets the job done so thanks everybody and i will talk to you later